Welcome into the Card Chronicle podcast. It is Thursday, February 25th here, nearing the end of the college basketball regular season. Mike Rutherford and Danny Snart here to talk about uh, everything going on in the world of Louisville basketball. Cards get a big win, a crucial win, uh, a shorthanded win on Tuesday over Notre Dame. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about this weekend's game against Duke. We're going to answer a uh, ton of questions that you guys submitted that I think are going to be pretty fun. But before we do that, Danny Snard, Columbus, Ohio, home of the Blue Jackets, home of the crew. How's everything going up there? Um, the funny you say that, yeah, the Jackets, uh, things are a little dicey right now. Got, got, uh, a pretty big problem as far as goaltending and on the defensive side of the puck. But, uh, anyways, I, I, I won't get into that. Things are good. Cards won. Um, March is right around the corner. There's just something like when you go outside, like the first day or two in March, like if it's any sort of like temperature above 50 degrees, like there literally is not a better feeling. It feels completely different because you know, the tournament's right around the corner. Um, probably my favorite time of the year. Uh, I, I just, everything, thank God we beat Notre Dame because I've, I, honestly, I've just been kind of skipping around the last two days and I can't imagine my mood if we would have lost that. Oh, I totally agree. I, I know it's the same way up there, but uh, in Louisville this week, we've had, after the, the snow apocalypse for the last couple of weeks and freezing temperatures, you've had those first couple days of late February, early March where the weather's been kind of unseasonably warm. It's been like 50 degrees here the last couple of days. And every time that happens, I'm right there with you. I think about that last week of the regular season, like Louisville playing a CBS game at noon or at two against Notre Dame or Virginia or whoever with the CBS music going and just getting ready for March and getting ready for the postseason and all that stuff. It, it, it's one of those weird, like I still have certain smells or certain feelings like always take me back to a certain place. Basketball is, you know, ubiquitous. It happens every single year, but like every fall or not, not fall, but every like early August when the grass starts to get a little bit brown and you kind of have that weird late summer smell, it still reminds me of football practice growing up. And I, I mean, I haven't played football since freshman year of high school and I still get like that dread of just hating those early, like late summer, sweaty, disgusting, awful, like football practices from growing up. I still get that feeling. Yeah. And like, I guess from like 2010 to like 2014, 15, it just got in such a nice routine. Like right around St. Patrick's Day, I would go to the St. Patrick's Day parade and then come home, you know, definitely not sober. And, um, like they would be playing in the Big East championship game. And you just think about all the, the Big East, you know, semifinal games that were awesome leading up to that. And it, it totally reminds me of that time of the year. So, um yep vaccines are getting handed out quick sun's coming out things are looking up and the blue jackets suck that was the uh, the biggest takeaway from the first three minutes here <laughs> the podcast. I, I need more blue jackets talk on the pod no we don't yeah. um, like you mentioned i mean we're in a good mood we're feeling good we're, we're able to kind of celebrate this time of the year only because louisville was able to pull out a win tuesday night against notre dame if the opposite had happened man i, I think we'd all be in a we'd be all be in a really, really dark place right now. I know I've always talked about, I I used to say this, I mean, a billion times on the radio every single year. I hate the term must win game when it's not literal. And I know I've said it on on this podcast too, but Tuesday night, if they don't get that, that job done, it's hard to see much good happening in in the three weeks to come. It's just, it, it felt like such a, 
make or break moment because if you lose that game, not not just for tournament resume purposes and overall record purposes, but just the mental state of this team, which I mean, it had to have been fragile going into that game. You lose by 45 points to North Carolina, the most lopsided conference loss in the history of Louisville basketball, the biggest loss uh, period for Louisville basketball since 1939. And you, you, you find out pretty early on in the day on Tuesday, your most talented player, your starting point guard is not going to be around for the game. David Johnson is going to be out. Um, and you, you have all the drama of last week. You have, I mean, the Chris Mack video, I don't know how much of a distraction it was for this team. My guess is probably not that much. But still, it's, it's something of a factor there. And if you lose this game, I feel like all of that stuff just kind of collapses on top of you. And, and, and past falls on present, and all of a sudden, all that stuff that you're able to push to the, the, the recesses of your mind gets thrown back into the forefront, and the team falls into disarray. And not to mention, you've got three pretty tough games to end the regular season. It was My, my whole point is, it was easy to see everything falling apart if they lose this game Tuesday night. Or Am, am I overstating that? Oh, not at all. I mean... Whatever, when we lost to Carolina by 45, I was in a dark place, but I still was like, all right, you know, first game back, you know, from the layoff. And I was grasping at straws, I have to admit. I'm like, first game back, you know, things are going to improve in, in two days. I'm, I'm crossing my fingers. But, I mean, when that David Johnson news hit, I mean, I, I, I got to be honest, all I thought was, well, this is this season is going off the rails really fast. Like, the train is off the tracks here. This could be ugly. Um, but it, it it just shows, like, what, like, a 180 can – what a 180 can happen in, like, a day-to-day basis, you know. Uh, not only did it get the win, but, like, even watching, like, Baylor struggle with Iowa State, who's 2-16, and 16, like, coming off their layoff. But, you know, that kind of gave me the mindset, like, oh, you know, this is a normal thing. Like, teams sure. need to be in a rhythm uh, to play well. So, you know, did they fix everything? Was it the most, like, aesthetically pleasing game I've ever watched? Definitely not. But at, at that point, you just got to get the win. I thought they were gritty towards the end. Sam made some huge plays. And now we move on to Duke, and uh, I'm – Nervous, but excited for the matchup on Saturday. Yeah, we can pull back the curtain just a little bit here and, and say, I mean, I'm not afraid to admit, when I got the text, it was, I think, just before 11 a.m. on Tuesday saying, hey, David Johnson's not going to play tonight, and then I promptly passed it along to you and a, and a couple of our other friends. The mood was not great. The The no. optimism level was, was not high for the game. I, I was not feeling, if, if we had done a podcast, Early that afternoon, after that news was out, and or I guess that the rumor was out, and you know, I probably would have picked us to lose. I did not have a whole lot of confidence in our ability to win that game, and so for us to not just win, but to to hand Notre Dame its second most lopsided defeat of the season, to hold them to their third worst offensive effort of the season, and to win wire to wire for one of the first times of the season, I, I thought was just a, a testament to this team's fortitude. It was. It, it was a, a jolt of hope, I mean, for me at least. You always want to – I think we're all aware of the global situation right now, which is, you know, they're not in – they're not really – they're not on the wrong side of the bubble yet, but things – they're not guaranteed to be in the NCAA tournament. They're not fighting for a top-four seed here. They're not viewed by anybody as a realistic threat to make the Final Four or really even make a, a deep run in the NCAA tournament. But the fun part about this time of the year is – you can have crazy things happen, like like in 2012, where that team looks lifeless and then all of a sudden wins the Big East tournament out of nowhere and goes to a Final Four. You can have 
Uh, I mean, in eight of the last ten NCAA tournaments, a team seeded seventh or worse has made a Final Four. At least one a team seeded seventh or worse has made a Final Four. Like, there's always reason for hope this time of the year if you can just get into the tournament. And so being in that place right now, I think it's still – we're, we're still allowed to dream right now, and that's only because they were able to come together and win that game against Notre Dame. If they'd looked lifeless, if they'd looked like they just want to be doing anything other than playing basketball, it'd be really tough to see any sort of hope coming in, in this next week and a half. But instead, here we are, and you're right. It's It was a performance that – I mean, I, I don't think it's going to have any of us saying, like – this team's now a national title threat. They're they're now they they could easily win these next three and win the ACC and win the ACC tournament or anything like that. But still, their backs were against the wall. They had to perform, and some guys really stepped up. I mean, they come out and out of nowhere. I mean, we should say like the most hilarious possible start to this game is Jalen Withers and Dre Davis just raining threes on the <laughs> game. And I was like, well, I mean. Whatever you guys got to do, just do it. Like, I, I don't give a shit. I literally was like, all right, I think we could score on inside on this team all game. I'm like, all right, our big guys are jacking threes. Here we go. Yeah, I mean, if, if that if those don't go in, it's the worst possible start to that game because that's our big advantage. I know Jawan Durham is, is 6'11", and I think um, like like Nate Leshevsky is like 6'9", 6'8". He, he's, a, he's a big guy, but they're both – they play really small. Like Notre Dame is really thin in the front court. They don't defend the post very well. They obviously they're one of the worst rebounding teams in the ACC, and Louisville killed them on the glass in this game. So yeah, you're thinking Carleek off the bounce, uh, Jalen and Dre inside, maybe Malik inside, and instead it's it's those guys just camping out on the perimeter. And to be fair, those shots were coming, and and they were in those spots just because for the first time this year they were playing their natural positions. At least Jalen Withers definitely was. You have Malik Williams starting at the five, which was a surprise to me. Not sure if he would have done that if, if David Johnson had been healthy. But you, we got a little bit of a, a glimpse of how effective Jalen Withers can be when he's playing at his natural spot, which is the four. I mean, he was hitting open shots from the outside. He was missing open shots from right around the rim. Uh, but he was getting those looks. And, I mean, for all the talk about him you know, missing I mean, layups on, on three straight trips, and I think finishing like one of seven around the rim, he still had 13 rebounds and 12 points. He, he still did more good than, than bad in this game, and it was a nice little show. You and I have said on this podcast a bunch of times at this point, he has a chance to be a really, really good college player once he just figures out how to be fully locked in from, from tip-off to final buzzer. Yeah, let's talk about Jalen for a second, um, because this is like my favorite part about being a college basketball fan is – like the growing pains, like not only as a player, but as a fan, you go through watching these like freshmen and sophomores and, and just some of the stuff that happens because I mean, my God, some of the stuff he does, like some of those offensive rebounds, it's just like, geez, this guy can be so good. But I mean, the, I, I and I don't want to dog on the kid because like you said, he played, uh, I, I thought an overall good game, not only rebounding but I thought he was excellent defensively on Leshevsky I thought he when he got switched out on on Prentice Hubs I thought he did well um you know I, I think he's going to be a real asset for us especially on the defensive end um in years to come but with that being said that was maybe the worst stretch of missed layups by a UofL Cardinal in my lifetime to the point where I like literally was like, am I going to turn off this game? I'm, I'm literally about to just dive into oncoming traffic right now. It was terrible, but um, I mean, you're right. I mean, the kid has a chance. It, it seems like you don't know what you're going to get night to night, but 
Um, hopefully with each game comes a little more consistency. And, yeah, I mean, we're going to need him to play big here down the stretch for sure. The missed dunk on the alley-oop, right? <laughs> it's like, it was like if you're if you're playing, you know, wiffle ball outside or something and you're tossing the ball to yourself and you keep missing it and then you finally make contact and you're like, hey, there it is, whatever. Like, it felt like that was that kind of moment, except he still missed the dunk again. <laughs> again. It was just like this meaningless, like, here we go, Jalen, let's finish this on a good note. You've missed 16 layups. Let's make this happen. And he still couldn't make it. It was just, yeah, I mean... I felt bad for him. I, 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 this is something else that we talked about after the game. Like, imagine having a, a 13 and 12 performance in a game. Oh yeah, we had to have, and all anybody's talking about is how you can't make a uh, a layup or, or or dunk around the rim. It, it was just comically bad. But that's been one of the things about this team all year long. Uh, as far as like really good things, the defensive effort I thought was terrific. And this was we talked before the North Carolina game about how coming back from. COVID, that was the worst possible matchup for this team, just because Carolina is going to pressure the ball constantly. They're going to have that secondary break. They're going to get up and down. They're, ne- they're really, really deep. They're never going to let you catch a breath. Notre Dame's sort of the opposite. They play a little bit of that 1-3-1 one, one zone. They don't push pace all that much. They're not overly deep. All five of their starters average double figures, but they don't have that much coming off the bench outside of the uh, the words kid. This was this was good for Louisville because Louisville could dictate the pace. And if Notre Dame wasn't going to force them to get up and down, you could have Carly Jones walk the ball up the court and, and save his legs a little bit. You had defensive possessions where, you know, Notre Dame was moving a little bit, but they took some threes early on in the, in the shot clock that, that saved you probably some, some time and effort. Like I thought this was a, given the situation, this was as good of a matchup as Louisville could have hoped for. And they took full, full advantage. I mean, they, Limited Notre Dame to, I think, 7 of 28 from 3, which is big because they're a team that can get really hot. They didn't, you know, let Notre Dame – they didn't let them get away with being a bad rebounding team. They took full advantage of, of that. And it was just – overall, like you said, if you're watching the game and you have no rooting interest, you turn that on and you're like, man, this is a dull-ass game between two just kind of okay teams. But for us, I thought the effort level was perfect. And, again – the total production, the total execution wasn't perfect, but it was exactly what they needed. And defensively, I thought that they were really, really good. Yeah, you're exactly right. Defensively, we did what we had to do, but I'm going to be a little bit negative. And I, I mean, a win is a win. I love it. It's great. We needed it for sure. But I mean, in the three years that Chris Mack has been here, I mean, this is the type of team that we do well against. I mean, teams that don't really pressure pressure the ball, teams that, um, you know, don't have really good post players, uh, you know, basically teams, I, I don't want to say, like, Notre Dame is soft, but they're definitely not going to be as physical or they're not as athletic as, like, a, a Florida State or you know, some of these other teams that, that we've seemed to struggle with. So it was kind of a dream matchup for us. We were playing at home. Um, so, I mean, now, honestly, it, it's time for Chris Mack and the team to take that next step to start not only playing better against some of these physical teams, teams that pressure the ball, um, but you got to take your game on the road. I mean, we're nine and one at home. We're three and four on the road. There's been a stark contrast in how we've played at home versus the road. So we got two tough, tough ones coming up. I know Virginia Tech look, um, you know, pretty sloppy coming off their COVID pause against Georgia Tech, but it's still going to be a hard game. 
so yeah, I mean that's that's kind of what I'm looking for. I mean I, I I'm happy with the win, um, but I, I I need to see more from this team if I believe they're going to make any sort of noise in the tournament. It sounds to me like you're saying the real season starts now. It, I mean, not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, every time we've – I mean, how easy was it to get the ball, like, in the middle to Sam, like, towards the end of the game? I was like, this team, like, is so – like, I'm talking Notre Dame, was so soft defensively. Um, it, it just seemed like everything came so easy, and I, I just don't think that's going to be the case versus, you know, some of these other teams we might face down the stretch. Although, I mean, I know we did beat Duke. But they're playing better, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So I'm interested to see how we match up Saturday because I honestly think overall Duke's a good matchup for us. But like I said, they've improved defensively since last time we played them. I just want you to do that before every game now. Between the now and the end of the season, like real season starts now. But like <laughs> if, if we beat Duke, like yeah, it was great. But that's not really, you know, there's still a team that's in the bottom half. I love the win. I'm happy. I literally am happy about the win. I mean, we needed it. It would have been a resume killer. Um, but I mean, with that being said, I mean, that's the, that's the style of team that we seem to do well against. And I, you know, I'm anxious to see how we do against someone more physical. That's all. When you saw Samuel Williamson knock down all those mid range jumpers, could you stop yourself from thinking, man, we could really use him against that Syracuse two three zone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all knew Sam was a mid range <laughs> guy for sure. Um, but I, I mean, he he's definitely his confidence is sky high right now, which is great. Um, I did love I'm, the like when that happened. Like I, I got like three or four tweets from pod listeners who was like, "Man, Sam hits one jumper. Like that's we we could use that against that zone against Syracuse. Watch out if we play if we ever play Syracuse again." Watch out for that jumper. I love the uh, the long running joke there. Yeah, I mean, Sam, he's really about. You can just tell like the attitude that he brings to the court is completely different than what it was at the beginning of the year. Like he just looks more confident. Um, he's just he's more engaged in the game. He doesn't let a missed shot bother him. Maybe like it would at the beginning of the season. And I just love that he's crashing the boards. I think that's changed his whole season. Is him um, from a rebounding standpoint has kind of opened a lot of things up for him. So props to Sam um, for kind of weathering that storm at the beginning of the season. And uh, no doubt, I, I feel like he's playing um, some of his best basketball since he's been here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's he's clearly playing. I think without question, the best he's ever played since uh, since arriving. Last four games, he's averaging eleven and a half. He's averaging a double double since he got taken to the bench. Uh, I guess two weeks ago or whenever that was. It's so hard to keep track of dates now. But over the last four games, he's averaging eleven and a half rebounds and about uh, what twelve points per game. Pretty damn good. I mean, he has be- he has gone from a liability that we all talked about as one of the reasons why we couldn't buy into this team to one of the biggest reasons why we still believe in this team or still have a little bit of hope with this team. Um, I mean, he was tremendous down the stretch in this game, and I know that everybody said the exact same thing, but they're right. Biggest play of that game was Notre Dame's got all the momentum. They've cut the lead to, I think it was 5 at 56 to 51 with about five and a half minutes to play. Louisville misses a three-pointer. Sam Williamson, just an all-heart offensive rebound, just – uh, out toughs everybody from Notre Dame to get it, kicks the ball out to Carleek, screens the, the only defender in the area to keep him from getting to Carleek. Uh, Jones drills the three. We go up by eight. We get all the momentum back. And really, that was kind of the end of the game. Notre Dame never threatened again. And that was, I mean, 
the frustration with Sam at the beginning of the season and, and for parts of last year when he was playing a reserve role was he just wasn't making those types of plays. He just, he was never, he never seemed to be going full speed. He never seemed to be going all out. He never seemed to be willing to, you know, do the, the dirty work and, and whatever cliche you want to use. And now it's the total opposite. He's kind of using those winning plays and those dirty work plays and those grit plays to get his offensive game going. And it's been so great to see. He's getting more vocal on both ends of the court. He's playing with so much more confidence than he was just a month and a half ago. And I mean, we need, him to be a big time rebounder for this team because we don't have a guy. Uh, I know Malik Williams is starting to get healthy, but until he's he's fully there, we don't have a guy that you expect to come down with 13, 14 rebounds every single night. We don't have that type of big, and so we need our small forward. Uh, or you know, in this game, he was playing a little bit of the two. We need him to get in there and help us out a little bit to be that, especially with David Johnson out. Like he had to have a good rebounding game for us to take full advantage of their lack of ability to rebound, and he did. And I think that that's. A testament to his maturity. He's he's become a really really solid player here, deep in his second season. Um, I also thought, and we're not going to talk too much more about this game, but I thought this was the best Carter League spin in a while. Like I, I think, I, I don't know if it was all the ACC Player of the Year talk or the fact that guys around him were struggling, but he seemed to be forcing it just a little bit in like the three or four games before this. And you've got to find that happy medium between recognizing that you're the best offensive player on the team and you've got to to force the issue a little bit more than everybody else and forcing it too much. And, and I think he's been forcing it a little bit too much recently. In this game, I think he took what Notre Dame was giving him. He knew he could beat these guys off the bounce. He knew he could get the mid-range jumper whenever he wanted to. And I thought he just played – It didn't. There, there were only one or two times where I was like, eh, it's a little bit of an iffy shot. I thought his shot selection – was way better in this game than it has been recently. Yeah, I would agree with that. I thought he played a solid all-around game. I, I think I worried kind of midway through the year. It seemed like a lot, on a lot of his uh, free-throw jumpers or kind of fadeaway jumpers, everything was coming up short. Um, it kind of looked like he had his legs under him more tonight. Um, and, yeah, I mean, like you said, it, 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 he seemed to make good decisions I, I I do I still wonder I mean I know we've gotten used to him and David Johnson playing together uh, I don't know how much of a toll that that's taken on each of them I'm I'm sure uh, when when they both were I know Carlique knew David Johnson was here but I'm sure uh, the the thought of them playing together it, it's a little bit out of the box since they both like to handle the ball so much but um, yeah I mean. We're going to need him to, to give us that every night. And, like, the, he's the one guy on our team that's been pretty much consistent all year. I mean, with the double-figure scoring uh, in 16 straight games. Um, so, I mean, he's he's given us everything that we need, and then we're just going to keep needing that consistency. And it seems like Sam is starting to step up with the consistency. And, you know, now we need Dave, Sam, and Carly, just all three of those guys to give us what they're capable of. Because with the other guys, you know, you don't really know what you're going to get from Dre Davis every night. You don't really know what you're going to get from Jalen Weathers every night. Um, it's kind of a crapshoot. So you need at least three of those guys to be consistent. So that, that's kind of what I'm looking for uh, in these last couple games. Yeah, I've gotten to the point where I expect I expect Dre Davis is going to bring the effort every single game. He just may not always play well. Like he was just downright bad against North Carolina. With Jalen, it's just I, I mean he's he's wild card bitches. Like like that's exactly what he is. I mean he's he's Charlie from Always Sunny. Like one game. <laughs> He's, you know, I mean, like against North Carolina, I don't think he knew 
I don't think he'd even like read one thing about North Carolina or listened to one thing about North Carolina or paid any attention to any sort of scouting report anybody had given him because he was just totally lost on both ends of the floor and never really was able to get into the flow of the game. And then this game, he comes out and like we said, just drilling threes, playing great defense. Every I, you just you never know what you're going to get from Jalen Withers. He's super talented, but he's got to become more consistent. Um, and then, like you said, if you can get those big three playing at least two of the big three every single night playing really well, you feel like you've got a chance against most team most teams. Uh, we won't get too in depth about the Duke game Saturday night at six. I do want to kind of talk about just overall Louisville's current situation right now because I think it's. I don't want to say it's more precarious than people are giving it credit for, but it's definitely, I mean, they're on the right side of the table right now, but it's not hard to see a situation where things go wrong. And I don't want to be overly pessimistic, but Louisville right now in the net, they're number 48 overall. They've got no quad one wins. So for people who are saying, I think they could lose out and still make the tournament, I, there's no way. If they don't win another game this season, they're not going to play in the NCAA tournament. That's a guarantee. And I know everybody's pointing to the various bracketologies and saying, look, Louisville's kind of comfortably in here. Eight, nine seed, 10 seed some places. I know Andy Katz had them playing as a 12 seed in the first four in his bracket that came out before the Notre Dame game. I, I would caution anybody who's reading too much, even like the bracket matrix, the aggregate, don't read too deeply into the stuff. Things change really quickly once you get to the end of the regular season and some of these bigger bracketologists start talking to people. I mean, you'll see things like Joe Lenardi during a conference tournament week. He'll have a team go from a seven seed to a 10 seed for no apparent reason. And it'll just be because he heard, you know, that he was wrong about where he had that team slotted. Um, or maybe he just is starting to pay attention. Uh, I, I think Louisville right now, their resume needs some work. I think it doesn't help that the ACC right now is struggle city. I mean, North Carolina, I mean, last night losing to Marquette at home, a Marquette team that was 10 and 12 going into the game um, in third to last in the big East. And they come into your place and and beat you down after you just smoked Louisville on Saturday. That's a bad look, not just for Louisville, but for the entire conference because Carolina is viewed as, uh, you know, a top half team in the ACC, Virginia losing to NC state. Also not a big help. Virginia tech, um, like you mentioned earlier, they come back from a COVID pause, get walloped by Georgia. It's so bad that they fall, I think, 14 spots in the net. There's not much hope for that Louisville win over Virginia Tech now to be a quad one win. It has been kind of flirting with it for the last couple of weeks. My point is this, Louisville's got work to do. And I don't think it's as simple as everybody says, you know, what do they need to do to get in? If they go one and two here in the, to end the regular season and then win one in Greensboro, is that enough? Like, like I don't think it's that simple. Like I, I think that my gut says that's probably enough, but there are other factors at play here. Like, who are you playing in that ACC tournament game? Uh, what do other bubble teams across the country do? How many bids are getting stolen in the other conference tournaments across the D1? Like, Louisville would be really well served to win two out of three here, get a couple of quad one wins, and be feeling pretty good about itself going into Greensboro because, man, it's, it's just the ACC – does not have – like, with a limited sample size of non-conference play, there's not much there that indicates that anybody in the ACC is all that good. Like, Florida State doesn't have a good non-conference win. They beat Indiana in overtime, and they beat Florida on the day where Keontae Johnson you know, collapsed on the court. The best wins that this conference has are um, Clemson over Villanova and Virginia Tech over Alabama, and that's really – like, like that's kind of it, non-conference wise. Like, we I, I, do not put your faith in the, in the committee here with this team because they may see things a, a lot differently. 
it'd be great to win two out of three here down the stretch is my point. It's so wild how down the ACC is. I mean, we are still in the running for a two seed in the ACC tournament. Yep. And, I mean, there's legitimate talk that we might not make the tournament. So, I mean, there's just so much to play out here over the next two weeks. Um, it, it, it'll be interesting to see. But, yeah, I mean, that Carolina loss last night, I mean, that was a bad look. No, no doubt about it. I mean, it caused us to drop four spots in the net. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, you look at these last three games, and I mean, everyone, it just seems like I, I mean, there's not really, like you said, besides Florida State, when they're playing well, there's not, I mean, I know people are going to say Virginia, but I mean, they really, they've been struggling. Um, there's not really like a runaway team or a team that I'm overly nervous of playing, but I mean, any of these teams can beat each other on any given night for sure. Um, so... I don't know if I'm if I'm looking at the last three games on the stretch. I'm going to ask you first. What would you say is the most winnable game out of those three? I think I know what you're going to say. Well, I, I wish that we could flip the Duke and the Virginia games now because everybody's kind of getting their licks in on Virginia. They've lost three in a row, whereas Duke is just rolling. They look uh, they look fantastic right now. So I'd like to kind of play Virginia this weekend and then Duke at the end of the regular season. But to me, it's Virginia Tech just because. I mean, we all, we've won what, 17 straight over them. We always seem to match up pretty well with them. Uh, Castle Coliseum, it, we've had a lot of success there over the years and they're coming back from COVID pause and look really, really bad against Georgia Tech. I just feel like we kind of, there's a mental thing at play with them. Um, I mean, cause I think that they're overall a better team than Duke and they may be a, a better team than Virginia right now, but I, I like that matchup better for us. So I feel like that's the most winnable of the three. Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to pick that game, but. I don't know. I just, Virginia just really, I, like, every time I watch them, I just come away uninspired. You're it's going to be a home track. game. This like, is what Tony wants. This is exactly what Tony wants. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, I can't help myself. Plus, the game's at home. And, I mean, we, we obviously, so far this season, have played 20 times better at home than on the road. So, I mean, I, I'll say I'll say the Virginia game, to me, would be the most winnable out of the three. Um, but you're right. I mean, it would really do us well to take two out of three here for sure. And to be able to, you know, I don't want to say steal one on Saturday night because it's definitely a winnable game, but to get that first one under your belt, I think would do wonders for this team. So, um, yeah, it should, it should be a good one. Tony Bennett's doing the, the Chris Hansen to catch a predator thing to you. Luring you in. You want to have a seat here, Dan? Except the seat's like a church pew. It's it's Tony just smiling. He's like, have a seat right over here. Then Tony goes up to the altar and then just proceeds to whip your ass. Like that's, he's, he's doing the thing. Like he's a charming son of a bitch and that's exactly what he does every single year. But I don't know. It's just, this is a, it's a tough, it's a tough end of the regular season for a variety of reasons. Virginia not playing poorly. You actually kind of wish that they were playing better so that win would resonate a little bit more if you are able to get it. Same with Virginia Tech. They're down around 50 in the net. Uh, and then Duke. Can we just say, I know we, we talked briefly about the Jalen Johnson thing last podcast. I get supporting the player. And I know that last pod I talked about how like I'm al- almost always on the side of the player. And in a way, like I, I'm fine with Jalen Johnson leaving. Like I, I don't think he owes Duke anything. But I also think that both things can be true. You can say Jalen Johnson's a great player and every right to step away. That's fine for him. His team seems to support him. Coach K seems to support him. That's fine. But you can also, in the next breath, say Duke's better without him. And, I mean, the evidence is 
overwhelming at this point. They're what, like 7-0 and without Jalen Johnson this season because they had to play a few games without him earlier in the year, and they were like 4-8 and with him. Like, Jim Beheim, I will rarely side with Jim Beheim over Jay Billis. Jim Beheim was right. And when Jim Beheim was saying, you know, he got asked about it after their, their loss to them on Monday, he got asked about Billis kind of calling him out. And Beheim was basically saying, like, I know more about this than Jay Billis. And that wasn't him just saying we're both guessing. I'm sure Bayham's talked to Coach K a bunch. I, the staff, the staff has not been tight-lipped about the Jalen Johnson situation dating all the way back into the summer. And there are two assistants on that staff that have direct ties to Louisville to the point where you know word can kind of get around. And like, I mean, I'll tell you, back in like August, the assistants were telling people this Jalen Johnson thing is going to be an issue. Like they, they, it's not so much the kid as it is the people around him. And all that stuff. And it's not hard. I mean, you and I both kind of predicted it when this whole thing happened. It wasn't hard to see this being a voodoo Tatum Friday Night Lights situation where the star player leaves and yet everybody kind of comes together and the team somehow gets better. They have been markedly better without Jalen Johnson. And I don't think that's a coincidence. No, I mean, you're exactly right. And, um, yeah, I, I think you hit it on the head. I mean, I think it has to do as much with the off court stuff as it has to do with the on the court stuff. Um, but I mean, the on the court stuff, it, I mean, I, I used to, I don't listen as much, but I used to listen to Bill Simmons podcast and he always talked about the Ewing theory where, um, for whatever reason, the Knicks always played well without Patrick Ewing, they played better. And this is kind of a Ewing theory, uh, Ewing theory thing going on with Duke right now. But, I mean, just when you watch them, I mean, the ball moves better. They're more connected on defense. Um, and they've, they've worked Mark Williams, the freshman center into the rotation. I think he's been a big lift for them. We did, he didn't even play against us the first time. Um, I think we'll see a lot of him, um, when we play him on Saturday. So, I mean, and another thing, I mean, they're full of freshmen. Um, you know, and I hate to even admit it, but I mean, them in Kentucky, I feel like I know Kentucky's worse off. They're not as good as Duke, but it seems like it takes a little bit more time for those guys to round into form. And um, I mean, both teams obviously are playing better than they did at the beginning of the year, and maybe it just took a little bit of time um, for them to understand their systems. But you know, it, with that being said. I, I still think the game is there for the taking for us. Um, I don't know what the point spread's going to be, um, but I, I do think it's a good matchup. I just hope that we can carry over, you know, how we play at home and bring it on the road. I don't have a good feeling about this one, um, just because. It, but that's not. I've been totally wrong with feelings in recent weeks. I had a, a good stretch there in January where I feel like I had a pretty gr- good grasp on games going into them. But I mean, I thought we were going to lose Tuesday, and we won by twelve. Uh, I'm not feeling great right now about this game Saturday. Who knows? If we win by 20, I'll feel really good about the games next week. And then who knows what Virginia Tech and Virginia do. So I'm with you there. I do think there's something to the whole teams with talented freshmen getting better or finally starting to get it because they didn't have those exhibition games and you know the de facto exhibition games during non-conference play this year. I think there's something to that. I still don't think it totally excuses what Kentucky's been or hasn't been this season. I don't think it excuses Michigan State being so anemic up to this point. And I don't think it excuses Duke being as bad as they were in, in December and early January. But it, there's, I, I'm with you. I think there's definitely something to that. Um, we won't do predictions yet. I guess we'll do that at the end of the pod. But you guys sent in a bunch of questions. I want to get to as many of those as possible. Before we do that, 
reminding you all, we are sponsored by Homefield Apparel. Uh, go to homefieldapparel.com. They've got a billion different uh, college teams there that they have retro gear for. Uh, not just Louisville, but do check out the Louisville selection because they have a bunch of hoodies, a bunch of T-shirts. Uh, you can get the Duncan Cardinal bird wearing shades. You can get the Duncan Cardinal bird doing a bunch of other stuff. You can get a Scott Satterfield T-shirt. They've got you covered there. And when you use the promo code Card Chronicle, all one word at checkout, it's going to save you 30% off your first purchase. And if you want to keep up with our new releases, um, they had that cool UC Irvine surfing anteater shirt that came out last week. If you want to keep up with the tools they have, follow them on social media. It's at Homefield Apparel with no E in apparel on Twitter. It's at Homefield Apparel, uh, all one word, as you would spell it, on Instagram. Follow them there and frequently go to homefieldapparel.com. They've got you covered for all the college sports gear you could ever want. All right, Dan, you ready for some, uh, some Twitter questions here? Let's go. All right. Uh, most of these will be sports-related, but let's see. Jonathan Lustig says, assuming U of L seed will be between a seven to ten, which potential one to two seeds do you think the Cards would match up best against in a second round game? Uh, because we kind of talked about this when the question came a few weeks ago about would you rather face Gonzaga or Baylor? I think because Louisville is a better defensive team than they are on offense, I feel like you'd want to go up against a team that is more offensive oriented like we both chose Gonzaga over Baylor just for that reason alone that may be a little bit different now that that Baylor has had its COVID pause but if you're looking at two seed one or two seeds that you'd feel okay against I mean none of them right now to be to be quite frank but like I feel like Alabama is a team that maybe we could pick off I was going to say Iowa and Alabama. Yeah. Those, those would be my two choices. I mean, you can't be afraid to lose those games by 70 because either one of those teams could easily beat you like 110 to 60, but I still feel like you have a better chance of beating them than you do more of the like, like the Baylor-type teams that are going to be on those seed lines. Yeah, I, I mean, I texted you this at the beginning of the year, like, I'm going to fade Iowa in the tournament no matter what. I know they're playing better defensively as of late, but... It, no matter what, whenever they get in the tournament, it's always the same thing. They lose in like a high-scoring affair for whatever reason. Their defense lets them down. I know Gars is amazing, um, but I mean, after watching, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, which was like probably the best game all year. Uh, I know Baylor's coming off COVID pause, so I'll give them a pass. I mean, Gonzaga—they look like the real deal. Um, yeah, I mean, I I would probably lean like you said towards Iowa, and I mean, I like Alabama. Um, I think Nate Oates is doing a good job, but if I had to pick, and by the way, um, I, we have a lot riding on Alabama, Arkansas, Florida. I mean, one of these teams has to win the SEC tournament. If they fuck us, I mean, there is going to be hell to pay. I'm going to literally lose my shit if somehow Kentucky makes a run. I did see the, like the, if the SEC tournament started today, bracket was floating around Twitter the other day. And it was a very good draw for Kentucky. I was like looking at it. I was like, oh boy. I was like, God damn it. Like they would have to play LSU, I think, in the semifinals. I was like, ah, I don't trust Will Wade in that situation. But yeah, I'm with you. We, we need somebody to set. I don't, I don't, I still don't think it's going to happen. I mean, Kentucky has, they look good against Tennessee, but they beat two crap SEC teams before that very unimpressively. I'm just, I, I don't think that this tweak has really changed as much as, the optimistic UK fans would want yeah. you. To- Tennessee looks like they've kind of hit a wall here as well, so the wind doesn't look as impressive. Did you catch any of Alabama-Arkansas last night, by the way? I did. Um, 
Bud Walton Arena, I know they only had like 4,000 fans there. It was, I mean, it sounded like they had 40,000 there. Those people uh, were Arkansas four, is uh, one team that like I hope comes back to national relevance because thanks. like they are, they have like a really good <laughs> basketball fan base for sure. Um, and I think, yeah, I think Eric Musselman, he'll, he'll be the guy that kind of gets him back on the map for sure. Yeah, Oates is getting all this love because, I mean, Alabama's been in the top ten for so long and they play such an entertaining style, but Musselman quietly in two years has done an unreal job at Arkansas. And I'm with you. Like, I always, I, I think it's better for the sport when the teams that have the most rabid fan bases are good. And, I mean, the vast, vast majority of college athletic programs, at least the ones that have FBS football programs, are going to be more football-oriented than basketball. Arkansas is a weird deal where – even when they've been bad, which has been pretty much for the last two decades, or at least just mediocre, they fill that arena. They have a gigantic home court advantage. Their fans really, really care. And they've stuck with that program for a long time. They deserve to have a team that is – I mean, they haven't been to a Sweet 16, I don't think, since they since their last Final Four appearance in the mid-'90s. Like, wow. It's just – it's shocking that they've gone this long without any sort of success. But the fans have still been there. And I'm with you. I'd like to see them kind of be rewarded for that. I did like that when I first opened – up for questions on Twitter, the very first question was, uh, in quotations, Aiden Agehan question. Like the, the token question from Steven there, just wanting us to touch on Aiden Agehan, uh, who is still out with a mysterious illness. Um, At this point, I mean, we should just stop asking the question. I mean, it is what it is. Like, I mean, I straight up said it a few weeks ago on the pod. Like, I, he's not going to play again this year, and I, and I don't think you're going to see him back at Louisville. Uh, I think that's just – it is what it is at this point. And we wish the best for Aiden moving forward. Um, Jeffrey Baker says, will Luke McCaffrey start at quarterback next year? Yeah, The big football news of the week, Louisville gets a uh, transfer quarterback from Nebraska, Luke McCaffrey, uh, Christian McCaffrey's younger brother. He was a four-star prospect coming out of high school. I think he was the number 13 dual-threat quarterback in the country, according to ESPN. Uh, good big time athlete needs to work on his passing. He had one touchdown pass against six interceptions last year for Nebraska. I don't think he, if the question is, do you think he's going to beat out Malik Cunningham to, to be the starter during the off season? My answer is no. I, I think the staff is pretty committed to Malik, but I think you could push Malik a little bit more than Evan Conley or, or the, uh, the incoming freshman walk-ons and, and the stylish of the TJ Lewis kid. I think he can push him a little bit more than that. And, if nothing else, he's another dynamic athlete you can utilize in certain situations back there. I was excited. I think I think he's a good fit for the Scott Satterfield offense. I I, I agree. I don't think he's going to start, but the thing it does for me is it's going to hold Malik more accountable. Last yeah. year, I mean, he put the ball on the ground so many times, and um, it was obvious from you know <laughs> the way the coaching staff left him in the game that there was no other you know dual option behind them so if nothing else I, I i hope that hey i mean if we have the same kind of just careless turnovers that we had last year um we're able to pull the plug and and make the switch accordingly um but i'm i'm excited i think that's a great gift for the staff uh next question is from andrew and he covers the the biggest i think louisville fan discussion of the last 48 hours why doesn't louisville dunk the ball and what is the lowest amount of dunks in a season ever recorded for U of L? Yeah, this has become kind of a thing. Like the whole remember we used to always yell at Shane Bahannon for this, like dump the damn ball, Shane. This is like this is a whole team of Shanes according to the fan base. And I did love that like, there is some there's some statistical evidence to back this up if you're frustrated by Louisville's lack of dunking. Uh Kelly Dickey, at real card game, U of L statistician extraordinaire, 
he pointed out that the 2020-2021 team, this team, has fewer dunks right now at 25 total dunks than any season since the dunk has been re-legalized, which was back in 1976. Uh, cards are averaging just 1.39 dunks per game, which would, if it holds true, be the lowest in any season ever. The previous low total was the 2000-2001 uh, team, which was the last year of the Denny Crum era. They had 46 dunks and averaged 1.48 dunks per game. So if you've been wondering, if it's just you, if you're thinking too much about it, um, but you're sort of suspicious that this team is dunking way more than past Louisville teams, it's not just you. It's, it's a fact. We don't dunk the ball very well. We are now the medical school dropouts considering pharmacy school of dunk. Not the doctors of dunk anymore. Uh, the dropouts of dunk. I mean, it sounds silly, but, I mean, there's something to that. I mean, when you're not dunking the ball, that tells me that we're probably not the most athletic team. Um, and it, it, you can just kind of tell by the teams that we struggle to play against are the teams that are more athletic than us. So I, I think it's on Chris Mack. I mean, I'm sure when he recruited Aiden Agehan, you know, that was probably a, a jewel that he thought would turn out to be, you know, some guy that powers into the basket and, you know, down low has a lot of dunks. I mean, we know Jalen Weathers is capable of it. Um, but I, I think on the recruiting trail, you really have to start looking at getting more athletic and guys that can finish above the rim or defend above the rim because that seems what we, you know, struggle with the most. I just love, like, the idea of Chris Mack listening to, like, prospect tape. So yeah. like, it's like, will you get the guy that dunks? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can he dunk, Mike? Tell me right now. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying, like, no, you know, not, dunk for no reason, but, I mean, you do have to be able to play above the rim, and when you eliminate that, it, it, it takes away a big part of your team. I mean, somebody needs to get – it's not just Jalen either. It's all of our front court guys, and even sometimes, like, David Johnson around the rim too. If you have an open layup or an open path to the rim, you've got one or two options here, like, Go up immediately and forcefully and dunk it, or like collect yourself, pump fake, let the defender either crash into you or go past you, and then make an easy layup or dunk. Like we do the opposite. We 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 take the perfect amount of time to get our shot. Yeah. Like we the rim, collect ourselves, and then go up like there's nobody around us, and it's just going to be an uncontested layup every time, and we just get our shit thrown, or we rush it too much and just like throw it against the backboard and, and have it not come close. Like this team is just. They've got to get it together. Like, I, I honestly, I think the, the, the yeah, the thing they, str- you're exactly right. The thing they struggle with most is going up strong. Like it's either, you know, kind of fading back and not initiating the contact. It's waiting too long to go up with the ball. Um, we just really, I mean, I, I, and I know Dre Davis is a freshman, but it seems he does it all the time. He gets in the middle of the lane and, you know, throws like three pump fakes and, gets the ball knocked away or tries to dish it off and it gets stolen. Like we just need to grab the ball, go up strong, either get fouled um, or, you know, try to finish at the rim. It's just, it's frustrating. Uh, Cards fan 922 says someone texted me a video of Dan drunkenly yelling at the camera that Notre Dame is 0-1 against us since Ryan Ayers left with you jumping around in the background like you'd had a few. <laughs> should I release this? I love it. If Notre Dame ever beats us again, Feel free to put that out to the world and let the Notre Dame fans go crazy with that's, it. That's a quality treat. That's really fun. That's really well fun. done. Well done. By the way, uh, KSR saying you just got the video on Saturday. 
we both know better. We 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 both know yeah. the, we both know what happened. Uh we both know the same people. Come on, guys. Uh let's see. Bemo says, Are we worried about next year's roster? Assuming Carleek, DJ, Sam, and Malik are gone, it's a rough looking roster, specifically in the backcourt. Um Did he say Sam? Yeah, I, I I mean I don't think Sam's gone. I don't I I haven't heard anything about that. I mean maybe he will do the whole explore the draft type deal and and get better. But I, to my knowledge, Sam is not considering a jump. If all four of those guys left, yeah, the answer to that question is yes. I would be worried about the roster. Um, I, I, I shouldn't even say this because it's going to get people's it's going to get their spirit. And I've already told you this, but the big buzz around camp and buzz with stuff like this at this time of year can totally fizzle out. I mean, we all remember after Louisville lost in the 2017 tournament. Remember Donovan Mitchell was like, I can't wait to win a national title. I'm coming back. We're going to win a national title. Just I kept talking about it. And then three weeks later, he was gone to the NBA draft. But I have heard, and they are telling people, that whatever Carleek and Malik uh, Williams decide to do, they're going to do it together. If they both decide that they're they're done with college and they're going to go pro, they'll make that decision together. If they're, you know, if they want to come back, they're going to come back together. So that is potentially exciting. But at the same time, I mean, don't you feel like if they, ch- I feel like things would have to go horribly bad at the end of the season for them to want to come back for another year, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm not putting stock in it. I'm like, I, I, I think they're both probably gone. I think David is gone. Um, I, I would be surprised. I think it would be something out of the ordinary if Sam were to leave. Um, so if you're just telling me like if, if Sam is the only re- returning starter, am I worried about the roster? Um, I, it kind of depends. I, I mean, I know the freshmen we have to come in. I guess it kind of depends on which transfers or grad transfers we bring in. Um, I, I definitely think the backcourt would be a concern with very little experience um, coming back. But I, I know I'm excited about L. Ellis, but, I mean, who knows if that can translate in year one. So, yeah, I, I, I guess I'm a little concerned with how the roster is going to shake out next year, but not overly concerned. Yeah, if you're still holding out hope for David Johnson potentially coming back, I would say don't. Like, he's gone. It's And deservedly so. Like, he, he, yeah. he's going to be a top 20 draft pick unless something weird happens. Um, I mean, I'm fully expecting Carlick Jones and Malik Williams to both move on. Um, if they don't, that would be awesome, and I'd be very, very excited, but I'm not expecting it. And then, like, like you, I'm expecting Sam to come back. I think LLS can be really good. I think Bobby Pettiford will be a good college player down the line. And then you've got to hope some guys that we have coming back get a lot better. And then, like you said, you've got to hit it big in the grad transfer market yet again. It's been, you know, Chris Mack has, has kind of saved himself uh, with roster construction by landing some of these guys uh, that were – you know, some high profile like Carleek and some that were just way better than we thought they were going to be like Kristen Cunningham. But you've got to, you're probably going to end up having to get a couple of those guys again. Uh, Let let me ask you this. I want to ask you this. Josh Nickelberry, uh, where, where, how are we assessing him right now? Are are we counting on him as a future piece of this team? Like that's going to make significant contributions in the coming years or, are we selling his stock right now? I mean, he's going to have to make a big offseason jump. I mean, I, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, I, and I like that. I mean, we love the kids. It's just he hasn't shown me enough to where I can be like, all right, well, I can count on this guy improving the offseason and should help our team. Um, I, I'm a little weary. I hope we're not putting our eggs in the fact that 
we're going to be counting on him for significant contributions in the next two years. Yeah, we're sort of reaching the Anton Gill breaking point where it's like, are you a good shooter? Like, you, you were supposed to be a good shooter, and, uh, you know, you're not really – you haven't made an open shot in about two months. Like, that's – yeah, he, I mean, the shooting's going to have to get better. If that's your big asset, like, you've got to – You've got to start knocking down at least a few open looks, and he's not giving us much when he hasn't been doing that. Now, granted, health stuff has derailed both of his seasons. He hasn't really been able to, to I think, fully mature, but he's going to have to. This would be a big off season if he's ever going to do anything, not just here, but uh, as a college player, wherever he wraps up his career. Um, Dwayne Edwards says, Royal Rumble match between every Louisville starting quarterback in the past 30 years. Who wins? I like this question. 30 years. Um, oh man. Uh, Hunter Cantwell. <laughs> <laughs> I Hunter like, was a beast. My first thought was Adam Froman for some reason. I feel like he would just be like, Pro the, Daddy? Yeah, like Pro Daddy. I feel like he would just, maybe we went with both of like the kind of like southern dudes, like both Hunter and, and, and Froman have a little bit more country to them than some of the other quarterbacks. Like just, just scrapping out a way, just figuring out how, how to get the job done. We haven't had like a, we haven't had a fat quarterback in, I mean, maybe, I mean, would you just a one pass count? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't call him fat. I don't know. But he's big. I think he's yeah, he is big. I mean, he is, the he's probably the biggest one that we've had. Um, at least I can think of. I mean, Brom was not, I mean, like, Oh, Brian. We knew Brom, Brom, like, <laughs> I mean, he put on, like, it, it's, you don't realize, like, how big you get when you play college football, unless you're, like, you know, friends with someone before. Like, we knew Brom, like, in high school, and we're like, I mean, he was a strong guy. And then, like, when we saw him, like, his, like, junior year of college, I was like, holy shit, this guy is yeah. huge. Um, it's I unbelievable. Um, sort of a axe and smash demolition demolition situation where Brian and Jeff Brom come out one two and just have yeah. to. It. Yeah, I, I can see Will Stein pulling like a Stone Cold Steve Austin and like coming out first and just somehow getting all the way to the end. He seems to be able to find a way. See, I kind of feel like Will Stein would be the comically quick exit. Like he would come out, he'd be doing the trademark thumbs up to the crowd. Fans are going nuts. He comes in. And just like immediately gets tossed over the the rope by like Marty Lowe or something. <laughs> Juwan Pass just like Undertaker like over the head like throws him out like the one two three kid. Yeah, Teddy Bridgewater is still upset about not starting like the first game from 2011, and just immediately spears him and throws him over. Uh, I can see that happening. But great question. Yeah, so you go Hunter Cantwell. I'm going with uh, Adam Froman, the Sausage King of Louisville. There, there you go. We have no justification for our picks, but that's. <laughs> Uh, Gil Bolberg says, where does Brad Calipari rank among the best players in the history of Detroit Mercy basketball? Uh, well, he's, I think, like the, the sixth best player on their team this year. Uh, Antoine Davis, coaches lens, killing it. Horizon League, by the way, tournament starts tonight. You get four quarterfinals. I'm excited about that. Bracket season is back. Uh, he also says, did the South Carolina fiasco affect Scott Satterfield's honeymoon period? Uh, yeah. I mean, if we're talking about just his relationship with the fan base, there's no question about it. I mean, there's still some lingering feelings of mistrust and just uh, just negative vibes right now. And I, I think you've seen that with all the, the coaching departures. Whether it's true or not, Louisville fans have, have looked at that and said, look, we didn't lose some of these guys the last couple of years. Some of them are, are, are taking jobs that seem like lateral moves. Um, 
would they have done this had you not gone behind everybody's back and talked to South Carolina? Like I, I, I absolutely think it's affected the relationship between Satterfield and the fan base and probably some other relationships. No, I mean, you're right. These coaching moves, I mean, if everything was fine and dandy, there was no flirting with South Carolina, I, the fan base would be like, oh, man, our coaches are getting plucked by the NFL. They're they're taking better jobs. But now we're not looking at it that way. We're looking at, hey, you know, our head coach might have had one foot out the door, so maybe I better get out while I can now. And they have every right to do that. So it would serve Scott well to get off to a good start during the season or you're going to hear some – uh, you're going to hear some grumbling for sure. Um, let's see here. Uh, Connor Shea says, best MTV reality show from the noughties. Uh, next, Room Raiders, Date My Mom, et cetera. Uh, see, this is, yeah, this is kind of my wheelhouse. The best. I mean, I was a real world guy. Like, I watched the challenge. Like, I mean, I feel like you hit up a, a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, Laguna Beach, The Hills, this is like the, this is the prime time. You know what show I actually loved? And this isn't my answer, but I'm going to make it my answer just because it was, it's a forgotten treasure. I mean, Two a Days was tremendous. Just incredible theater. Russ Probst. Oh, uh, yeah. Who's, by the way, in the news right now. I know. See it. <laughs> just cheating everywhere he goes. He got to, I mean, that show basically ruined his life, but he's such a just publicity whore that he couldn't turn it down. Like, he loved it. He made himself the star. And then because of the show's popularity, it got found out that he had a second family in Alabama. It basically ruined his life. He had to, like, leave the state. And then he's gotten caught cheating everywhere he's gone. Uh, but Two Days was great. It was like I was actively rooting against Hoover by the end of the show because I hated everybody on it so much. But I, I was on a work trip to Alabama, and we, like, drove, like, kind of in the vicinity of, like, Hoover High School. And, like, the guy I was with, I was, like, brand new the company i i so bad would it be like do you think we could just head over to the high school so i can get a picture real quick <laughs> i so funny story like the summer that that show was getting popular i pitched against uh hoover they came up for this uh summer lit tournament that we always had uh for baseball and we played at eastern high school and i pitched and the kid that pitched for their team was my aunt's best friend in high school like she like <laughs> She like saw my mom and like came over and was like, are you Virginia like Pierce? And like my mom, it was this whole weird thing. I gave up two hits, both home runs and we lost two to one. Like I, I was like, fuck, I almost beat two a days. Uh, but that was a, a great Hoover high school experience. But I liked the show. Do you remember caged about like the, the UFC fighters, the cage fighters in Louisiana, like the amateur fighters the show was fucking great. And like, no, I, nobody talked about it. It was wonderful. I don't remember Cage. I do remember like the WWF show where they like tried to, you know, train wrestlers to become a WWF star, but I don't was, remember Caged. Now they just run ridiculousness 24 yeah. hours. Yeah. Yeah, what is, that, that's like the weirdest thing ever, but whatever. I love how like the the generation immediately above us was like when I was growing up MTV played videos and now we're like when I was growing up MTV <laughs> had the hills. Like you don't even know. Uh Let's see here. DA says, how drunk are we all getting where we can go watch sports together? I'm thinking college freshmen jumping in a baby pool drunk, but I'd like to hear your perspective. Don't jump in the baby pool, guys. It's not funny. <laughs> Never funny. Never funny. If you're in college. I mean, I, I wake up and, I mean, he's right. I wake up and just dream of these days. Like, I, 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 I don't think I took it for granted why they were happening. But my God, do I miss them? Like it's just it's just not the same. The electricity is just not there. Um, so whenever we get back and normalize things again, I mean, I am turning up from zero to a hundred. Um, 
I'll just make sure there are no phones around to get me on video. <laughs> Ryan says, uh, who is the least likely player on the U of L men's basketball team to neatly fold their toilet paper when they wipe? I, I tell you what, this could be a controversial answer. I feel like it's Carleek. I feel like Carleek just doesn't give a fuck. I feel like he's just going in there. He just, he wants to get in and out. I'll say Dino Gaudio. He's just old school. He's not even he's a just, player. I know. I, I feel bad naming one of the players. I don't know. Um, we'll go Gaudio with Quinn. After- we'll go with Quinn because I know he can just take it in stride. Oh, I disagree. I, Dino Gaudio is a terrible answer. I feel like he is the neediest, tidiest like, person associated with global basketball that we have. Yeah, but I mean, he's, I don't know. I, I don't know how much how details we want to give here. I just, he's Awful old school. Answer. He doesn't give a fuck. He just wants to get in and out and that's it. No, you're, you're, you're wrong. You could not be more wrong. Uh, right. Tanner says, <laughs> how much could an ACC network commercial spot really cost? And could we fundraise to get a Card Chronicle podcast commercial during a game? Uh, so we, I, I looked this up one time when the ACC network first launched. It's actually, I don't know how the exact details, but it's pretty cheap to get a commercial on there. It's not, it does not cost a whole lot. We could probably make this happen. I, I would love it. I would totally like, you know, uh, Maury from, uh, Goodfellas when he has like the wig commercial and he like jumps back in the pool. Like I would a hundred percent do that. I'd be like, come listen to the pod and jump right back in the pool. Um, cut you off at the very end. It's just how, <laughs> it's how it would go. Yeah, and nobody yeah. would even notice because it's the ACC network and we just assume that everything goes wrong. I know. People would just like glance over and be like, I mean, the ads there are already so fucking weird. People like wouldn't even notice. They're like, oh, who the hell are those two, two kids? It's so bad that when Corey Alexander was talking by himself during the game on Tuesday, like I didn't even bat an eye. I was like, yeah, somebody's watching. <laughs> I probably went out. Like it's, I'm, it's like Corey Alexander is just drowning. You talking. could you could hear Dave O'Brien like muffling, like he's talking into a snorkel <laughs> at one point. He's like, poor Corey. I mean, like you said in your tweet, like Corey's just out there without a paddle, just <laughs> dying out there, but. I thought he, I mean, I like, he, he was very pro card. So I, I'm on team Corey for sure. He had nothing but good things to say. And I, I actually like when he does the games. I was just waiting for Dave O'Brien to like thunder back in. It's like, God damn it, honey. Like, get out of here. Like, just like, just totally off, like not knowing that the Wi-Fi was back or whatever. Uh, it was a wonderful bit. It was classic ACC network. I also mentioned, like, the little graphics that they have in the bottom line. Like when, you know, somebody scores and they pop up their stats. They were wrong. Like the like, <laughs> like announcer O'Brien was literally saying Malik Williams with a three pointer and a nice jump hook now here in the last minute, and the score was flashing like Williams three point seven rebounds. I was like, no, <laughs> so was, like, get this shit together, guys. This is awful. Uh, let's see here. Chris Glime says, "What team is getting a lot of love right now in protected brackets? Bracket brackets that you'd bet a hundred dollars." won't make it to the Sweet 16. Um, I know you're very anti-Iowa. Do you do you think Iowa's, like, first? I mean, Sweet 16, like, that's tough. I mean, I could see them. But, I mean, upsets happen. Yeah, I'll, I'll stick with Iowa. I, I, I'll say they get bounced in the first two rounds. I don't know. If Kansas counts, I am not a believer in Kansas. I, I feel like this is a year, and they have these years every now and then where they just get, like, rocked in the second round. Uh, they never lose in the first round, but the second round is they kind of flame out sometimes. I feel like that could happen. Um, 
I'm also not big on Houston. I, I know that the analytics love them, and they're probably going to wind up getting a two speed because the AAC sucks, but I am not a firm believer in Houston. Uh, Quentin Grimes is okay. Uh, he's been better than I thought he was going to be. Dejan Giroux has not been um, the player I think a lot of people thought he was going to be. Like I, I think Samson's a great coach. They've done incredible work over the last four or five years, but I can see this being a year where Houston – Like I would love to play them in the second round if we can get it going a little bit and be a seven seed. That So that's my answer. I think Houston uh, is due for a first weekend upset. Um, I like the <laughs> – MB says, what is art? Are we art? Is art art? Shout out to Lisa Turtle. Lisa Turtle. All right. Yeah. Great question. Um, so Jack says, if one of the three seniors does decide to come back, what does Chris Mack decide to do with the scholarships? There's the, So there's no real clarity from the NCAA about how to handle all of this. Like, we don't know if scholarship limits are going up. We don't know what's going to happen. This is all going to just be a whole mess with the everybody having an extra year and potentially, you know, every transfer being immediately eligible. And shockingly, the NCAA doesn't have a great plan for this. So we'll see. Uh, yeah, I, that, that, I mean, that's kind of a tough situation. Like you said, um, if you get handcuffed with scholarships, that would be like the part about being a coach I would absolutely hate. For sure. Um, JD says, will Minland ever contribute offensively by scoring slash assisting by season's end? Here's hoping. Yeah. Charles, Charles, Charles. I wrote about this a little bit yesterday, man, and it's just it's tough watching Charles right now. He's playing hard. Like he's doing everything he can to make an impact on the game, but you can tell that offensively he is just he's terrified of making a mistake. He's just out there trying to get by with, you know, running the offense, taking a couple of dribbles and making a simple pass. And he had an open look and he missed it by about thirty five feet on Tuesday night. Like he's just his confidence level is very, very low right now, and it's it's understandable. I mean, he played at, a, at San Francisco, which has a freewheeling, very free offense, and he was the focal point of that offense last year. They wanted him to shoot the ball pretty much every time he touched it, and now he goes to Louisville where he's – I mean, he's never the top option when he's on the floor. It's a very different style of offense, and he's coming back from a, like another knee injury, and he just – he has not been able to get it together. But I'm hoping that he has – are you ready for the second Anton Gill reference of the podcast? <laughs> As like an Anton Gill moment at some point in the next uh, few weeks where he just hits a few shots in a row, kind of provides an unexpected boost in a key moment. Like that's, that's my biggest hope with Charles Midland because I think that we're never going to get a chance to see the player that he could have been had the injury not happened. Yeah. And I mean, we're, I, and I, I mean, he seems like one of the most likable kids on the team too, which I, I hate this for him. Um, but you, like you said, you can tell his confidence is super low, but unfortunately we've reached the point now in the season where, um, I, I mean, I'm going to want guys on the floor that I know are, are capable, um, of scoring and we'll just, I mean, to put it nicely, Charles is running out of opportunities to the point where, uh, you know, if he's putting up shots in a, in a game that's going to defy us, if we're going to make the tournament or not. Um, I, I'm going to be a little bit worried. Uh, Joseph Palazzo says, top five card basketball villains over the years. Um, I feel like we can't go back. If we're talking about just like during my lifetime. so that's Diego, Diego Guevara from UNC Charlotte. Yes. Uh, yes. He's up there. So I, I'm saying like we're excluding – like U.S. Reed is obviously a big-time villain because he had half-court shots to knock us out of the tournament, but that was before – that was before you and in, in my time. 
So I'm, I'm excluding him. If we're talking like just guys that we grew up with, Diego Guevara was one of my first thoughts. But I tweeted about him a few years ago, and his wife tweeted back at me. and was like, after all these years, you all still hate my husband. I'm like, this is <laughs> Guevara, Travis Diener. Yep, those are that, those are the two that popped in my head. Um... I mean, I feel like I've got to have like I didn't hate him as much as I feared him, but Kenyon Martin was terrorizing. Yeah. There. It, I, I yeah that, that's I, I I enjoyed watching him play though so that's a tough one for me. Um, what about like Luke Heron Goatee? He fucking drove me crazy. Yeah, I mean just the robotic Notre Dame big men that seem to be <laughs> they they could all be one entry like the guy and it, I feel like it always happened against us where they had the established senior big man and then either that guy didn't play well or got into foul trouble. And then the sophomore big man who barely played at all came in and like lit us up. And it was the start of him being like a really good player. Like Bonte Colson did that to us. Like the year Jack Cooley was their big, big man. He didn't play well against us and he fouled out. And then Colson came in and scored like 24 points out of nowhere and then became like a really good player his next two years. So it's like generic Notre Dame big man can be one entry for us. We need one more. Um, See, now people don't stay around long enough to, like, become villains, I feel. I know. I'm, like, I'm trying to, like, think back to, like, late 90s here um, or, like, early Big East or Conference USA days. Because Kentucky, I mean, they have a different team every single year. So, you know, you couldn't, like, Andrew Harrison killed us in the the tournament, hit a big shot. But, like, you know, he was only there for two years. But it's tough, man. It's different now. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, like, some (laughs) Connecticut, like, player or something like that that we had wars with like Brandon Trish from Syracuse or Michael Carter Williams um I don't know it, it's tough yeah I guess we could just, we could like, just do like Dimendorf yeah. or something like that yeah but see like we own Syracuse and, and we were really good against UConn too I feel like I don't know yeah it's we, we, we didn't handle that question very well um, yeah, I'm sorry about the answer guys Matt says what's your what was your favorite TGIF show uh, probably, uh, I mean, is, are you afraid of the dark? Is it, was that TGIF or am I like, is that, oh, that Nickelodeon? was Nickelodeon? Okay. Christ. Is it like, yeah. who, who's on, I mean, there's Clarissa. Is that, that was no. TGIF? Oh, what is wrong with you? I yeah. never watched TGIF. It was like family matters. Was that TGIF? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's family, family matters. matters. Like step by step. Okay. Old. Oh, okay. I didn't realize, boy. I mean, I guess I just call these shows when they're on different channels. I like didn't watch TGIF on like exact Friday nights, but um, okay. yeah, I would say Family Matters probably. Yeah, you're a big Family Matters guy. I can see that. Um, Full House was also TGIF. Uh, I was a. This is a Boy Meets World was probably my favorite show in hindsight, but I was a big dinosaurs kid. Love dinosaurs. How about it, folks? <laughs> <Just lucky. laughs> Want to expand on that? One of the most, uh, well, I mean, watch the, the season finale, the last scene. One of the most, like, just depressing and completely inappropriate for kids finale of all time. Like, they killed the planet, and they're like, well, we're all about to die. Oh, yeah, no, okay, fault. I've That's, seen that scene the fucking show ended. I, I have seen that, like, floating out on Twitter. I was like, oh, my God. It's horrible. Uh, John says, what happens first, a Lions playoff win or a Louisville football, college football playoff berth? <laughs> oh, God. Like, that is 
oh, that's a t- that's a tough one there. I mean, I I love the cards, I do, but that's a big hill to climb. Um, going Lions playoff win. Yeah, I'm probably gonna go Lions playoff win as far fetched as that seems. Uh, Nick Coffee at the Card Connect says, "Would you say por- support a Happy Gilmore sequel?" The the Adam Sandler videos with the Shooter McGavin follow-up, they were great. 25-year anniversary. Happy Gilmore is my favorite Adam Sandler movie. I can still probably quote just about every line. I don't think I would support a sequel. I, I don't think I need one. Yeah, I mean, I, as much as, like, I would be like, okay, I'm going to see this. Like, there's just – it's impossible. Like, some things, I mean, you just can't touch, uh, and that's one of them. I mean, it's – it's a, a timeless classic. I mean, I watched it so many times after it came out that, like, I can still memorize it. But, like, for some reason, it doesn't hit the same as it did back then, probably because I overwatched it. But great, great movie. Yeah, I'm the same way. Um, David Levitch, thoughts on the Fountain of Youth Saturday? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll be honest. I, I have zero idea who's running or who, like, the – the uh, contenders are going to be for Derby coming up. I usually like I follow Steve Haskins like Derby doesn't, so I kind of like that's kind of <laughs> how I keep up with who are some Derby contenders. But he's not doing that anymore, and um, I, I guess I've been out of the game. This is my only thought. Prime factor. Uh, okay. Tom Rad Ortiz, unbeatable combination. It's happening. It's not going to be the favorite. Probably won't go off as the favorite. Prime factor is my pick there. Uh, Hot Hot says. Have you or Dan ever watched a movie slash series with the presumption that it was fiction only to find out much later that it was based on true events and were then ridiculed by mutual friends? Has this ever happened to you? Um, I know that this has happened to me at some point, but I can't remember what series it was. I know I was watching something and then it was like, oh, my God, that actually happened. Um, but can you? Yeah, I, I, off the top of my head, no. I mean, I know it, like you said, I know it's happened to me. Um, I'd have to like, yeah, I, I don't even know how I'd go back and figure out what show it was, but I know that's happened to me before. Oh, I, I swear this, I feel like it's happened recently too. And now I'm going to, I guarantee I remember, I'll remember right when we stop recording and I'm going to be very, very upset about it. I know uh, it's probably happened to my wife 30 times more than me. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you've shared that before about how Kim just kind of like didn't, has no knowledge of old events. I like, I don't know. I mean, I, I love my wife. She's awesome. I don't know where she was from like 1989 to like the year 2003. Like, I don't know what she did besides like dress in like old colonial garments and like play house in her house. Like, I don't know what the hell was going on there because I have to go over everything with her. Mary is listening to the DC Sniper podcast right now and has no recollection. <laughs> She's like, how young were we? I'm like, we were seniors in high school. It was a, huge <laughs> it was a big deal. event, yeah. It was like the biggest story in the world for like a full couple of weeks. She's like, I don't remember this at all. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, we same stuff happened. She's like, we landed on the moon? I'm like, oh, <laughs> you're a smart person. What is wrong with you? Um, I Okay, we're probably, we've, we've gone way too long here. I, I didn't realize how long we've been recording here. If you've made it this far, thank God. Uh, we really appreciate you. Uh Dan of the Dumps, do you have a, a Dan of the Dump story for this week? It, it's kind of a mutual one. So me and you, uh, we've told the listeners this before. We are in a fantasy golf league where you can only pick one golfer for, like, during the year. So there's, like, 30-something tournaments. Once you use that golfer, they're done. 
So last year, out of like 60 teams, we got like, I don't know, 54th place. It was a disaster. Great. We didn't pick any winners, but it seemed like three or four times we would pick a golfer and then he would come and either miss the cut or come in like 40th. And then the next week he would win the tournament or come in second place. So we're like, all right, we're cursed. Something's going on. We would tell our friends and they didn't really think any of it. This year, uh, we're already four tournaments in Pebble Beach. Um, I, I take a guy, or excuse me, the tournament for the waste management open, uh, we choose Daniel Berger, who was missed the cut. Did he miss the cut? Yeah, I think he missed the cut. Comes back, wins at Pebble Beach. So we fucked that up. Then at, uh, where were we? Pebble Beach, I take a guy who nobody knows about named Sam Burns. Okay. Uh, he finishes like, I don't know, 40th. Uh, comes back this past tournament and is literally leading the tournament like all three days and no one even knows who this guy is. I'm like, God damn it, we picked him the week before. But anyways, we did pick Tony Finau this week. Mm-hmm. And of course, in true fashion to me and you, this guy just completely in the playoff misses like a gimme. Not, I don't want to say it's a gimme, but it was a makeable putt to win the tournament, and we ended up not winning. So still have not gotten a win in this league. It's very frustrating. But we have Matthew Fitzpatrick this week. So if you're watching the WGC, um, we need Matty Fitzpatrick to post a low score. People listening are so mad about it. I know. They're like, and we turned it <laughs> off. Like I, that was that was a tough one to explain. I almost left it up to you. Sorry, I, listeners. That was bad. Good. It's a good story. It fits the Dan the Dumps narrative, but about halfway through that, I was just like, man, people are, are not like I know. Uh, they do not that was, about our fantasy golf struggles. That was a reach. Damn it. Sorry, guys. <laughs> that, was, that was bad. Um, all right, let's do quick uh, Louisville Duke predictions. Six o'clock tip-off. Cameron in North Stadium. Uh, does Chris Mack own Coach K if he wins this game? Go. Yeah, he owns him if he wins, um, but he's not going to. I think we lose uh, – I'll say seventy-one sixty-five. I thought you were more confident about this than I was. I thought you we you kind of expressed confidence. I, it's a good matchup. I just I don't think we're a good road team. I just think we play different on the road, so I can't pick them on the road until they prove me otherwise. I feel like here's how I'm gonna like do the whole hedge thing for you know picking against your team that's gonna upset people. ACC wants Duke in the tournament. We're going to get fucked by the refs. That's my big prediction for this game. Like, we're going to all be bitching about it. We're going to get Cameron indoored, despite there being no fans inside Cameron indoor. Um, the, the ACC wants Duke in the tournament. We're going to get fucked. Duke wins 70-66. to 66. That's my great way to hedge picking against Louisville. <laughs> I'm doing the, like... I well, mean, that's, that's I actually, so, the more I think about it, I could definitely see that happening for sure. Oh, it's not yeah. far-fetched. It's happening. Uh, hopefully, we're both wrong about that. No new reviews to read this week. Again, if you don't, uh, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, that's the best way to get alerts about new episodes. I know I always post them on the website, but if you want them to come straight to your phone, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to it. If you can give us a, a five star rating or you know whatever rating you feel like we deserve, we appreciate that. And if you can write us a review, it really helps us out as well. And we'll read them on the pod. So it's a further push to make that happen. Uh, we'll have a another new pod coming up beginning of next week to recap the Duke game and get you ready for the last week of the regular season. This is going to be our last pod for uh, February unless something crazy happens over the weekend and we need to do an emergency pod. So, uh, man, March is here again. It feels like we were just here last year. Hopefully this year goes a little bit better than 2020 did. But um, thanks so much for listening. I know this one ran a little bit long. We're going to talk to you guys again soon. Until we do, 
Go Cards. Go. Cool.